This is Norm Holy for WFHB, and today I am interviewing Dr. John Dunning. He is a professor of wildlife ecology in the Department of Forestry and Natural Resources at Purdue University. He is going to talk today about the relationship between climate change and bird migration patterns. I understand that you do a field trip in the very early spring. What are you seeing in terms of the waterfowl migration? Yeah, well, I've been here at Purdue for a little over 20 years. I arrived in 1994, so I guess it's more like 24 years. And most of that time, I've led the field trips for our local Audubon Society. When I first started here with these field trips, every March we would schedule a spring waterfowl field trip just to run around to various wetlands in our area and try to see as many ducks and geese and related species. We now find that we have to have that field trip in late February because the winters have been so mild that the waterfowl are migrating earlier. Basically, they're held back by frozen water. They will start to migrate as soon as everything begins to thaw, and that has happened to thawing uh, earlier and earlier. Have you noticed much in terms of population, either advancing or retreating, of the waterfowl? Well, the really dramatic thing there in terms of changes in population numbers has been with geese. This is true for all of Indiana. It used to be that there were several species of geese that were really rare. If we found a group of five snow geese, for instance, in our area, that was a big deal 20 years ago. Waterfowl are changing their migratory paths in a number of ways. And in the last, say, 10 years, greater white-fronted geese, snow geese, even Ross's geese, which is supposed to be a western species entirely, have been showing up more and more in our area in large numbers. When I say large numbers, I mean tens of thousands in in southern Indiana. We just had a flock of a thousand or more greater white-fronted geese spend a couple of days here at one of our best wetlands, Celery Bog, just in the last couple of days. Numbers like that were just unheard of a couple of decades ago. The peak numbers have been more like 20 to 25 to 30,000. So many, many more geese moving through our area, but earlier and earlier. And what's the situation with the Sandhill Crane? The peak around here was around Thanksgiving time, but now they seem to sort of dribble through the winter. One of the biggest wildlife spectacles, we don't have to limit it to just birds, you can experience here in Indiana is to either go to Goose Pond or up closer to us, Jasper Pulaski Wildlife Area, in the late fall and go to what are called staging areas where sandhill cranes pause in their migration for a number of weeks, feed on the waste grain that's found out in our agricultural areas, and then come in in the late afternoon to these couple of locations and hang out before they go to their roost sites. Still large numbers of cranes, but they're staying later and later. The cranes in Jasper Pulaski, they feed in the surrounding agricultural fields, but they come to that wildlife management area because it's a safe place for them to spend the night. There's a big marsh. After congregating in this big field where there's an observation tower and you can see them all, right as the last light disappears in the evening, they quietly move over into this marsh and spend the night there. Presumably it's a safe place because if there's a coyote or a bobcat wandering around, splashing in the water, the cranes can hear them coming. They'll stay there as long as uh, there's open water. Once the marsh freezes, then it's not safe and they have to move south. Increasingly, in the mild winters that we've been having, the marsh stays open all winter, and so we end up with five, six, 
10,000 cranes in Jasper Pulaski spending the entire winter, which they just never did before. Now that the mechanical harvesting is much more efficient and they leave fewer seeds in the fields, is there adequate feed for all these birds? I've been worried about that too. So far, the answer seems to be yes. The cranes are still attracted in the same way to the, the same range of fields. But I suspect as the harvest gets more and more efficient that that could become a problem. There's another associated problem, and that is that not cranes, but some of the birds that we find in the winter and early spring in our fields, Lapland longspurs, snow buntings, Smith's longspurs is a, is a specialty in west central Indiana. They're feeding on grass and weed seeds, and as we use more herbicides to eliminate things like foxtail in our fields, then there just isn't the food for those birds. So it's it's getting hard for us to find some of those other species, but that's not a climate change thing. That That's a agricultural practice. Is there a mismatch between the migration and the emergence of insects for some of those smaller bird species? So this is another effect of climate change that's being studied really pretty well now in a variety of places across North America and also in Europe. They're worried about the same thing. Our migratory systems are set up so that birds passing through on the way to their breeding grounds hopefully can find enough food to give them energy for each step of migration. This is really well studied with a number of shorebird species that go to places like Delaware Bay and Chesapeake Bay and feed on the eggs of horseshoe crab, horseshoe crabs, and their spring migration is timed just so they hit the peak of that horseshoe crab egg laying and they get tons of food that way. We think the same thing happens with our migratory songbirds here. And in this case, we're mostly worried about the long distance migrants, the ones that are coming from South America or Central America or Mexico, as opposed to short-distance migrants that are maybe just coming from the southern United States. These long-distance migrants time their migration by using changes in day length. Actually, it's the length of the nighttime that is kicks in their hormones to migrate. That's something that doesn't change, and over the centuries was a reliable cue as to when is the appropriate time to move north. As our winters have become milder and milder, and our springs have started earlier and earlier, then things like tree leaf out has started earlier and earlier. When that happens, then timing the beginning of migration based on day length isn't as reliable a cue. Up here in the West Lafayette area, in the early days of May, what we notice is that when oak trees start to unfurl their leaves, when the buds break and those young leaves start out, that's when enormous numbers of insects try to feed on those leaves. The oaks don't put in all of the secondary chemical compounds that protect their leaves for the first couple of days. It takes them a while, and, and that makes those leaves vulnerable. When the birds are migrating through, they really hit those young oak leaves and to feed on those insects. They really target the large numbers of insects that are, can be found at that time. Well, as the leaf out comes earlier and earlier, then those vulnerable leaves and therefore the biggest insect populations are now occurring before the pulse of our long-distance migrants move through. And by the second week of May, when we typically have our big days to go out one day and on a weekend and try to count as many birds as we can, the trees are already completely leafed out in, in many cases. And that means we see fewer migrants. It also means there's less food for the migrants. So there's a real worry that there's a disconnect between the timing of migration and the cues the birds are using and when the 
the best pulse of food for them. I've been speaking with Dr. John Deming. He is a professor of wildlife ecology at Purdue University. Thank you very much for your comments.